Uh, as Ben said, I, I grew up, uh, actually I was born and raised Catholic. I'm from Chauvin, Louisiana, followed down there by your people. And, uh, you know, as it, it, through high school, I, I came to know Christ at a really young age. And through high school, God just really began to tug on my heart. And, um, you know, I found myself in 1999 at Living Word Church when we had one service on Valhai uh, Boulevard. And, man, God has just uh, been so faithful. Um, not because of anything I've done by any means, uh, because he, he chose me and uh, he's just been so faithful in my life. And it's, it's such an honor uh, to stand here and have this opportunity. So uh, thank you. Thank you for, for allowing me to do so. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Um, I don't have any jet lag to my knowledge, so I should be able to, I should be able to maintain. Um, but let's, uh, let's get started in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity. And God, I pray nothing more, Father, than that your name, God, would be glorified, and that your name would be lifted high, and that we would leave here differently, Father, not because of great words, but, God, but because of your Holy Spirit. God, because your word, Father, has the power to change. God, in Jesus' mighty name, thank you for this time. Amen. Amen. We're going to be completing the series on perfect peace. Um, Three-part, Pastor Freddie did, from the little bit I heard in Albania, did an amazing job. Last week, that's right. And the third part of this message, um, Bennett asked for us to speak on, you know, how do we have peace in the middle of financial struggle and lack, right? I mean, all of us have dealt with that probably at some level, and probably some of you may be there, may be there right now. And remember the, the series verse that he's, he anchored us off of in the first week was John fourteen twenty seven. It said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be, be afraid. And from there we've just moved through, and there's so many practical things that have to do with, with peace and how we walk out our lives and the things that we do. But I think more importantly as we move through this message, what I want us to understand and the main points that we're going to look at is the sufficiency of Christ in our life in every situation. Um, you know, I, I took a little time just to talk about myself and as I recount throughout my life um, and I go back now and look I can see the faithfulness of God in those moments and times when I couldn't see it or it wasn't comfortable and I'm sure all of us here have similar situations where that's the case because we do serve a faithful God you know by a show of hands how many of you have had financial struggles at some point in your life I would dare to say the majority of you would raise your hand um, you know I, I think about even my children and for you that have children, even at a young age, you know, I think they sometimes think they have financial struggles themselves, right? You know, they don't have enough money to buy the certain thing that they want. But I thought about that, that even as kids, we, under, we, be, we begin to understand this idea of what we need in order to get what we want. And when we can't, there's this struggle that begins. Um, now, for us as parents, it's obviously an opportunity for stewardship and all the practical things that go with that. But even more importantly than that, and even for our own lives, they understand that the, the sufficiency of Christ in their life, even as a child, right? And then for many of those that's, you know, had that time of peace, despite what was going around you, maybe it was an unpeaceful situation, did you experience the peace of God in that moment, or did you not? You know, or, or did you experience someone else who was in that situation, and you begin to see the different things that are taking place? So it's going to start us here. What exactly is peace. What exactly is peace is a question I want us to look at. Well, 
If you're anything like me, I'm quick to look at definitions um, in the dictionary and begin to see how things play, even though I think I have an understanding. Because when I look at the word peace, the first thing, and I've never been much on grammar, um, and if I had any grammar teachers here, they probably would confirm that for you. But what I do know, that peace is a noun. And a noun is a person, a place, or a thing, right? So peace is a state of being, or it's a mind. It's something that, uh, although it may not be exactly tangible, it's something that we possess. Peace is a thing, right? It can be possessed. Actually, when, it's, when you look it up in the dictionary electronically, it's, one, it's in the top 10% of words that's searched. So it's a big deal, obviously, to people all around the world. But what I want us to see is that we can have peace even if we are struggling financially or we're in a time of lack. That peace can still exist in our heart as a believer and should do so. I think about, you know, I've been in the workforce now for, I don't know, if you count when I was growing up, you know, probably over 20 years. Uh, But I remember there was a time in our life when Rachel and I had just gotten married and um, I was, you know, she was teaching and I was coming to a place where we were ready to start a family. And we had decided that whenever we had our first child that Rachel would stay home. Um, that was just a decision that we had made. My mom stayed home. I mean, we just saw great value in it. And not that there was a right or wrong for us, but we just felt it was the right thing for us. And we, could, and, and we were going to make it happen. Um, but it, it meant that the, the income that Rachel had uh, would no longer be there, naturally. So we had figured out how we would make it work with my income and... Um, you know, it meant we had to cut back in some areas and some things we weren't going to be able to do. And uh, when I look back on it now, it kind of blows my mind at the amount of money that we were able, been able to sustain on. Um, but we were going to do it, and we did it. And, you know, right before she had the baby, I received a, a random call um, from a gentleman to, offering me a job. And I, I wasn't looking for it. Um, I, I knew the gentleman. I didn't, you know, there was nothing past that. And I said, well, yeah, I'll check it out. Let's see what it's all about, you know. So I, I meet with him, and he offers me the job, and, you know, he offers me a job that replaced Rachel's salary, additionally what I'd already made. And I said, man, how exciting is that, right? And there was nothing wrong with the job I had. I loved it, you know, but it was just, it was just a testament of the faithfulness of God. And I go through my career, and I work at this job for, for 10 years, and about two years ago, um, from this job that came from a place of faithfulness, I lost it. Um, uh, I didn't have a job anymore. And also now, if, you know, I'm, I'm now 10, 15 years into my career, you know, and I've comfortable, kind of gotten myself to a place where you feel like everything's going. And it's like, wow, I've got kids now. I've got, you know, home, vehicles, you know, all the things to do, not even talking about fun things, just like, okay, this is a big deal. You know, what am I, what am I going to do? And, you know, I just remember in that moment when I was, when I was being released from the job, and I just sat there just thinking, you know, God, you've, you've got this figured out. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to do something, I can assure you. You know, I might, be, I might be doing something that I don't necessarily want to do, but I'm going to go make some money doing something. And um, so, I, so I left. I got, you know, it was, on a, um, it was actually close to the weekend, so it was actually worked out good because I, I would have been off anyway. There really wasn't any pressure on me to, uh, to be missing work. Um, you know, and I just, um, I just went about normal life, you know, and I figured, you know, Monday I'll start making some phone calls. I'll take this weekend to get my resume together, which I'd, I couldn't tell you the last time I had typed any kind of a resume. Um, and, uh, and calls began to come in and things began to happen. And uh, I had a couple of different interviews and all really great options. 
But I can remember waking up each morning, and there would be some mornings where, you know, it was just heavy on my heart of like, God, if I, you know, am I going to have to sell my house? And am I going to have to do this and so forth? And, um, you know, Rachel and I was talking about it. And, you know, if you know anything about Rachel, she's kind of a get-her-done person. She's like, well, listen, we can, we can sell the house, and we can do this, we can do that. And I'm like, hold on a second. It's like three days. I'm like, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay. You know, we, we're not under the bridge yet. Um, but if we are, you know, we'll, we'll have each other. It'll be okay. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, but I remember having some mornings where it was just so, I was just so down and it just felt like nothing was going to there. And then I would focus back to Christ. And that next morning I wake up and that joy came in the morning and God was faithful. He provided a job. Um, the job I have now is amazing. I work with an amazing group of people. Um, it's just been, it's just been a blessing all the way around. But the flip side of that is, had God not met every one of what I felt like should have been met, it would not have changed who God was in my life. And it, it, it may have sent me in a different trajectory. It may have may put me in a different place. And that would have been okay. Because the sufficiency of Christ would have been there for me and for my family. You know, even if we lose every material possession, it should not change who God is in your life. It should not change that. So we look at peace, and then we look at how can we have peace in a time that's not peaceful. For example, losing a job, a lack of income due to economy slowdown, your hours get cut at work, you get injured. You know, the list goes on and on. Unexpected expenses, vehicles break down, home repairs, all these things that we don't, although we may do things to plan for, we don't ever really hope that they happen. But the reality is those things do happen. Once again, if we look at the word peaceful, it's a little bit different than peace because peaceful is an adjective. It describes something, right? It describes a situation. You may have a peaceful dinner, right? How many of you had a peaceful dinner last night? Right? You know, it's, it's, it's how we perceive it and how it's going on. If you're anything like my house, um, dinner time is very exciting. There's lots of things going on. Um, it's a great opportunity to uh, teach and um, discipline and all the exciting things that go with it. But I have to say, I did, have, I, I did f- fix my first meal when I got home, and I started it off with browning four onions. After being in Albania for 10 days, it was so exciting. I never had more fun just stirring that pot of onions. It was so good. Peaceful typically describes the outward appearance of a situation, but, na- but may not be reflective of the inward peace of your heart, Right? You can be in a situation that's not peaceful, but we still should be in a place where the peace of God rests inside of our heart. Although there are practical things that need to be considered in those situations, we must first set our eyes on Jesus and realize that as believers, there is only one kind of peace that we should be looking for. Pastor Ben mentioned this in the first part, and I'm sure Freddie probably hit on it as well, but the two types of peace that we looked at were one, earthly peace, and two, a kingdom peace. And when I look at those words, when I look at earthly peace, I see that it has some similarities to the word peaceful, right? Everything's tranquil, tranquil, everything's working in harmony, there's no fighting, there's no wars, there's puppy dogs and daisies and all the exciting things, there's world peace, right? We describe a peaceful situation. The problem is it's only temporary and it has no eternal reward. But when we look at kingdom peace, it's more in line with the word peace itself because it's an understanding where we stand in Christ in good and bad times, knowing it will be okay. The peace of God in Philippians 4 says that it surpasses all understanding. 
right? So that means if it surpasses it, that means it's beyond it. And that means if it's your understanding, that means it's above your understanding, which means you won't understand it, right? You're supposed to experience it. You're supposed to be able to hold on to it, but you're not going to understand it because it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. Although we may be okay with it, you st- we still don't understand it in its full reality. You must be a believer in Jesus Christ to experience kingdom peace. You know, as to those of you that are here today and, and, you know, maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you haven't come to that place. And, you know, you find yourself in a place that's just of unrest and you just can't see what to think, what, how to fill those voids. The answer is Christ. And if you're here today, you're here for a reason. And you're here because the Holy Spirit is drawn on your heart. And he's beginning to speak to you. And there's some things that you don't understand about it yet. But I'm telling you, Christ is drawing you in with his love and with all of his compassion. Because he desires relationship with you. And as we go through this, as we begin to talk about this peace, that is there for you as a believer in Christ Jesus. John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. The enemy of peace is anxiousness. The enemy of peace is anxiousness. And I'm going to read through the section of text here, which is going to be Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And then we're going to begin to unpack this and break it down a little further. But it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right before this text in 24, Jesus is talking about laying up our treasures in heaven versus on the earth. And he segues here and he says, therefore I tell you. And what he tells us is to not be anxious. Because what he's saying there in 624, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the picture he's showing there for us is now that if you do, if, if your focus is on money, the acquisition of material things, then it's going to create anxiety in your life. And he's saying that those are things to not be anxious about as we go through this section here. If laying up treasures in earthly possession is what defines you, then the fear of losing or being able to obtain those possessions causes anxiousness. Because in verse 25, I mean, he said, therefore, So this idea of earthly treasure and its connection to being anxious. So once again, so what is being anxious? Once again, we'll go to the definition. Anxious is once again an adjective. It too 
happens to be in the top 10% of words that are searched, along with peace, but it's characterized by extreme uneasiness of mind or brooding fear about some contingency. It is characterized by resulting from or causing anxiety. And the part I like in there is the idea of contingency. It's a fear about a contingency. When something's contingent, that means there's something else that has to happen in order for it to happen. The problem is, as we begin to conjure up all of these contingencies in our mind, we begin, if you're like me, typically go to worst-case scenario. Whenever reality, that's, that's not what's going on. That's not what needs to happen. When we're in these times of financial struggle and lack, we go there, right? Because we begin to think about, you know, at a very pure level, the things that we should be concerned about at a certain point, but not to the point where it gets us outside of the will of God. That's where we've got to make sure and be careful. Look at the stats on anxiety. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States ages 18 and older, which is 18.1% of the population. Anxiety disorders affect 25.1% of children between 13 and 18. And according to the World Health Organization, 1 in 13 globally suffers from anxiety. Research conducted by the National Institute of Mental Health has shown that anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem among American women and are second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. It's a big deal. It's not by chance that God gives us instruction here about not being anxious and why. The main causes of anxiety are death and the fear of the unknown, essentially. And when we look at it in the area of financial struggle, it's because we don't know you know, where are we going to come? Where that's, where's that next meal going to come from? How am I going to pay my house note? How am I going to pay my vehicle note? How am I going to take care of my kids? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And those two areas consume our hearts and consume our minds. And that just needs to, once again, center us back to this idea of having peace in Christ. Ultimately, as a believer, we must stay on the reality that God is sovereign and he is directing our path as a believer. So we understand this idea of peace and, you know, that we can have peace in an unpeaceful situation and the reality of anxiety. So where do we go from here? And what I see here is that we need to have a correct perspective as believers that, that we are not citizens of this world, that we are citizens of heaven. And because of that, we should view the things of this world differently. And, and not just in our own will and our own strength, but because Christ who lives within us is working in us and working in our lives. We are not citizens of this world. This is a temporary home, which means the struggles are temporary. Because there will be struggles, but the struggles are temporary. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of his household of God. And Ephesians there, he's just jamming home the point that we are in Christ, that we are a part of who he is. And because of that, things are going to be different for us. Life is in this broken world can be overwhelming. We don't fit in here. We don't like or agree with much of what the world celebrates. And that feeling that we're not home yet can create anxiousness. You know, I remember when I started, uh, when I went to, went to college and you know, I was talking with my dad and I, I laugh about this now, you know, and he's, you know, we're talking and he's like, what you know, what you going for? And we talk and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm planning on finishing college. I've got no no plan on quitting. I'm like, but you know, I said, that's four years, dad. I said, I said, Jesus will be, have come back by then. I don't know that it really matters, you know, you know, if I, you know, what I'm going in, you know, and he said, oh, okay, you know, I'm freaking crazy son. And, um, but, um, you know, it's funny. I mean, we, we, as believers, we have a desire, we have an excitement about us of, of the Lord returning, you know, and, and every generation before us, 
thought that Christ was coming back in their generation. Um, and I can guarantee you one thing. We're closer today than we were yesterday. I can assure you of that. I can assure you of that. When we allow ourselves to be emotionally embroiled in ongoing conflicts and fruitless debate, we can develop anxiousness without realizing what it is. And Pastor Ben mentioned this in his first message about this idea of what we allow into our minds, what we see in news and media. And as he stated, it's not bad to watch the news and the media, but we must be careful of what we consume and what we take in because that is of the world. That is not of Christ. And what we need to do is be careful in that because what it does, it spills into when you do have these moments of struggles financially, guess what happens? You know, those are the things you begin to pray upon. You begin to think about all the stock market and all these things that you have no control over, right? Um, but Christ is in control. Titus 3, 9 says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And 2 Timothy 2.14 says, Remind them of these things and change them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. We have to put ourselves in a place of focusing on Christ. I like to parallel it to the idea of a U.S. embassy. You know, we didn't have to engage the embassy on this trip to Albania. Thank God we didn't need it. But all across this, country, all across this world, the U.S. has an embassy that they set into place in foreign countries. Right, well, that embassy is on the soil, obviously, of that foreign country, but the area that it, that in, encompasses is the United States outside of the United States. And the same picture is for us. Yeah, we're not in heaven right now, but we are citizens of heaven, and we've been placed here on earth to do a job. The embassy in that area is to have multiple purposes. Obviously, it's for one to, to be there for... for uh, U.S. people that are on that foreign soil. It also works diplomatically with the local governments there. Um, it's a, it's a, a push and a pull back from everything that's going on there. They are, they are involved and engaged in that country, but they are not of that country. They are completely different, and the same thing goes for us as believers, and we have to get that in our minds and have this understanding that Yes, we live here. Yes, we drive down Highway 311 to get to church every Sunday. We don't teleport here. Uh, we don't fly in, you know, this kind of stuff. We do move about just as everyone is here, but we are not citizens. Remember in Ephesians 2.19, it says we are no longer strangers and aliens of heaven. Now we are citizens of heaven. As believers, if we are citizens of heaven, then we need to look to Christ to be our sufficiency in every situation especially when we're dealing with times of financial lack. And it brings us to our message. I've got three points here that I want us to look at as we break down this scripture starting in verse 625. But our first point is Jesus is our sufficient provider. Jesus is our sufficient provider. He starts off there in Matthew 625. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You know, I was thinking about my kids, and once again, I think about my kids a lot because um, they require a lot. And, but, you know, they don't really worry about if they're going to eat each day, if they're going to be dressed. You know, I'm not saying that a kid can't experience that, but as a parent, my desire is that they don't because they have sufficiency in me and my wife to take care of them, you know. Now, with that, obviously, that they're going to be taken care of no matter what. But they also know that they don't get everything they want, right? Because not only would I be broke, they would be spoiled brats if they got everything that they wanted. 
And they got that stuff pretty well handled on their own. They don't need much help there. And the same thing goes for us is that we need to be a place of, that's where we are. That God's got us taken care of. Despite how bad it is. Guys, look, I am never going to stand up here and, and, and minimize the struggle. Scripture tells us that the struggle is real. I say that at work all the time. The struggle is real, right? But it doesn't change who God is. That never changes. You know, we, we tend to have two different struggles. We tend to trust in our possessions and our financial gain, right? But then we tend to doubt God's provision and our financial lack. And it's interesting how it swings back and forth depending on where we are when we have a, a selfish perspective of life. But when we take a step back and we center up on Christ and understand that we are a citizen of heaven, then we begin to see that although that may be an issue and although that's a struggle for us in our life, it doesn't change once again who God is. Look, it talks about four areas there in that scripture. It says about your life, about what you eat, about what you drink, or what you wear. Those are all very important things. Those are not being minimized, and they are all things that you need. God's not saying you don't need those things. He's just telling you not to have anxiousness about those things. Look what Jesus told his disciples when he asked them to follow him in Luke 9, 3. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, right? I'm not telling you you shouldn't pack or prepare before you go on a vacation, right? But what Jesus was telling them there is, I'm sufficient for you. I'm going to provide for you. Walk with me, and I'm going to show you this thing and how it works out. Jesus needs us to depend on him and trust in his provision. He is not requiring you to be poor, just relying on him. And the things that we put in or on our body are nowhere near the value of the body of itself. I mean, we were created in Christ in his image. And what he's given us, this earthly body, is, is precious. And he, and he desires it to take care of because what it is, it's the vessel by which his gospel is advanced. It's the church that comes together and is able to do so. He knows that. He understands that. He doesn't, he's not, oh, oh, you needed clothes? Oh, you needed to eat? I mean, he did design the body and designed it to have to be able to consume these things in order, okay? We're not surprising him with any of this. But when we focus on the things that we consume or wear, it sets our sight on the provision and it takes the focus off of the provider. And that's what we got to be careful about, guys, that we don't concentrate and focus on the provision, that we concentrate on the provider. There's a song now that actually um, has some similar lyrics to it that talks about that. You know, we need to be, it talks about being more involved with the healer than the healing. And it's not that healing doesn't take place. That's never the case. It's the reality that the healer is why there is healing, and the provider is why there is provision. You know, I think about waking up each morning, you know, waking up with being anxious, you know. Um, I was, Rachel and I was talking yesterday as we was going through this, and you know, that's where I find myself so many times. I get up in the morning to, to read and to study and, and to pray, and I almost instantaneously start considering everything that I have to do that day. Um, and don't get me wrong, they have to be done, and I have to address them, and I have to work through them. But the problem is, there's nothing I can do about a meeting at 12 until 12. There's nothing that I can do about something at 4 or 5 until I get to 4 or 5 because I don't have the ability to throw myself into the future, right? I need to focus 
on the present. I need to be able to focus what God is doing in me and in my heart at that moment. Now, granted, in that is preparation for those things to come. But if I, if I escape what's happening right now, then I never even get there or I'll be ineffective when that time happens. I think about raising, raising kids and, you know, life is busy and you get so many things going on and you're dealing with finances and struggles and you feel like you're always just trying to get to the next day, you know? I mean, it's just like if I could just get to the next day and the next day and the next day, the problem is if we don't catch that early enough in life, we begin to be 10, 15, 20 years down the road and we don't know, we don't know who our children are. We don't know who our wife is. We don't know who our friends are because we always were going to the next step and never sitting there at that place and, and allowing Christ to work in that situation right then and there. And the same thing goes in our finances. We need to focus on Christ. Many of us can point to times when a specific need was satisfied and you're like, yeah, he provided for me in that moment. But the reality is Christ is more than just a God of that, of that moment. He's a God of your future. He is going to sustain you throughout all of your life. And that brings us to our second point, that Jesus is our sufficient sustainer. Jesus is our sufficient sustainer. Matthew six twenty six through 31, continuing through that, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And if you not more value than they, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about choline? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he will not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He mentions it again, just as he did before. The burden of what we will eat or drink or wear is not something that we were intended to carry each and every day of our life. God's going to sustain that provision throughout your life. And Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 says, Come to me, all who labor and heavy burden, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the yoke is still there. We still have the struggles of this life to deal with. We still have to walk this thing out. We can count on the Lord to provide our needs, protect us from evil, guide us, and keep our souls secure for eternity. We might not be able to prevent anxious thoughts from entering our minds, but we can practice the way in which we respond to them. And for that, I want us to look at Philippians 4, 6 through 9. It's a real popular text, and it says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lowly, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What does it say? It says we must practice these things. We've got to practice them, church. It's part of our sanctifying process. It's part of our maturing as Christ, right? Doctors practice their whole life, right? And they seem to get it right most of the time. It's no different for us. We have to continue to practice these things. All these things that are good and these things are honorable, we practice them over and over again. And we see the sufficiency of Christ. And it says, and the God of peace will be with you. But look, here's the response. 
11 through 13 of chapter 4 says, Now I'm speaking, not that I'm speaking of being in need. This is Paul. He said, For I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the reason why he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him is because of who Christ is. And the things that he can do are the things that he says there. It doesn't mean that he can do things outside of his ability, like I probably can't run a marathon. And even if I prayed that verse before, I would still not be able to run a marathon, right? But what I can know is in times of being needy, in the times of plenty, that I stay focused on Christ. And I learn to be content in those situations no matter one way or another. You know, when he talked in 6, the first part of this about laying up our treasures in heaven, you know, the ideas he's speaking of, you know, you have these treasures and you're counting on them. And now he's talking about being anxious of the things that you don't have. So whatever what side of chapter 6 you are, Christ is your sufficiency in that time. And we have to be able to respond as such. And in order to respond as such, we have to practice it as such. As we commit ourselves to the studying of God's word and praying without ceasing, we'll begin to see the burden of anxiety less and less in our life, and particularly in your areas of financing. Our job is to be busy about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the thing we need to consume ourselves with and be busy about. Now look, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying to quit your job and to live on love, right? Because it tells us right here in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, for even if we were not with you and we would give you this command, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat, right? So we are still called to work and we are still called to toil and to struggle in this earth. And if we want to eat, it's, it's, it's necessary at, at, at that level. But it's also not for us to sit back and do nothing and say, I'm just, I'm just counting on God. He's got this under control. No, no, look what it says in verse 26. It says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns and let your heavenly Father feed them. But birds do what? Constantly. They fly in. They're here and there. They're bouncing around. They're chirping. They're chipping. They're moving stuff for their nest. They're, they're getting food. They're pulling worms. Whatever it is, birds, they don't stop. And that's the picture he's showing for us there. That, and where we don't stop is we don't stop and the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we continue to walk in that and allow his sufficiency to fall in with us. And look, God's given us a promise in Genesis 3.19. He says, by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. That's back all the way in Genesis. And the reality is is when when we, he's going to provide for us. But it says what? By the sweat of our brow. That means we're going to have to work. And that's at different capacities and looks different for all of us. But the reality is, is we have to work and we have to be diligent in serving Christ. Above all the earthly provision that he blesses us with, there is a hope for the future that he lavishes upon us. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight. And that brings us to our third point, that Jesus is our sufficient hope. Jesus is our sufficient hope. And look what he says here in the last part of 6, 32 to 34. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But what? And anytime we see but, that's a, that's a contingency. But seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Psalms 42.5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed with me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. No matter what financial struggle we are faced with, when Christ is our anchor, that is where our hope is going to lie. You know, as I was uh, growing up, I worked, on a, I worked on a charter boat out of Cocodry for many years. And if you've, you know, for all of us here that have experience with boats, um, as the deckhand, I was the guy that got to set the anchor on the boat. Um, and you learn some things when you practically apply those. And, you know, I can remember being out there and just, in, in, you know, in, in pretty crazy seas. And you're trying to situate the boat to get in the right spot for, for them to be able to catch the fish. And you're trying to take care of your customers. And you get there and you set that anchor. And, you know, if you don't let out enough rope, what you begin to notice as the boat begins to pull away from your spot, that rope starts jiggling real hard, and, it, and the boat's kind of flipping and flopping either way. There's nothing that really grabs it. And all of a sudden, when that anchor grabs and that anchor holds, all of a sudden, everything comes in alignment, you know, and whatever is directed. And the same thing is for us. If we don't set our anchor in Christ, then what happens when the storms of life come, when financial struggles happen, we get tossed to and fro, we get blown off course, and we get blown all the way, and we, and we all of a sudden wake up, and we have no idea where we are. We don't understand what's going on. But when our anchor is there, although there's going to be splashing, and all there's going to be jamming, and there's going to be bucking, and there's going to be noise and rattling and everything until that wind and that sea lays down, but when it's over with, you're still there. When you're over with, you're still there. You've not moved from that spot. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Remember, your plans may not always work out as the way you would like. But look what it tells us here as a believer in Proverbs nineteen twenty one. It says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Guys, we can have our ideas, we can have our thoughts, and the reality is is that Christ is the one that is going to be sufficient. He is our hope in those situations. We must first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. As we begin to walk out these truths in our lives and we're being sanctified, our worldly anxieties, the anxiousness will move away and we begin to have an eagerness for the kingdom of God and for his righteousness. As we went through this, we looked at the reality that Christ is our sufficient provider, that he's sufficient to sustain us, and that he's our sufficient hope. And he closes out the text here in Matthew 6, 34, and he says, Therefore, now that you've understood everything I've said previously, and now that you've got a grasp of it, it says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This idea of centering us right now, right here with Christ. And he just sums it up for us. He sums it up for us with this therefore. These four things that he told us to wor- not to worry about before. And he says, now that, you've, now that you're there, now don't worry about. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Sufficient is the day. When we worry about tomorrow, we become unhealthy, unhappy, and unable to hear God. And I'm not talking about practical planning, and I'm not talking about those realities. What I'm talking about is worrying about the things that we have no control over, the things that only Christ can set before us. Church, our job is to wake up each day and to see how we're going to exalt the name of Christ, 
how we're going to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we're going to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. This is not something that just happens on its own. You must make a decision to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. It starts with a commitment on our part, church. You know, this stuff just doesn't happen all of a sudden because you just think it's a good idea. What the scripture tells us is we need to practice these things. But in order to practice these things, anything we do in life, whether it be sports, whether it be school, in order to begin to practice something, we've got to make a commitment first that we're going to practice these things. We've got to make a commitment even as a believer that we're going to walk in the sufficiency of Christ. And all across this church this morning, there's people here that are struggling financially. Either you don't have a job, you don't have the job that you would like, you don't, you're not making the hours you would like, and you're not understanding how things are going to meet. And God wants to meet you in that situation for nothing more than to prove to you that He is sufficient for any and all of your problems. There's nothing too big. You know, and as we focus on Christ and as we begin to look at we those problems begin to look different. They begin to have a different perspective on us because remember, we're citizens of heaven. And as we begin to look down on these earthly problems, we begin to be filled with this kingdom peace that only comes from Christ and Christ alone. As we can get ready to conclude this message, what I want to do is I just want to offer an opportunity for our church that if you are here today and that you are struggling, that you would just come down to the front and we just want to corporately pray for you um, as a body of believers and just realize that once again, not only you, your sufficiency is in Christ alone, but church, we've got a whole group of people here that are members of the body of Christ. And somebody here has gone through a situation. Somebody here has dealt with the thing that you have dealt with. And although they may not have the very practical thing you need in that moment, they are a living proof of the sufficiency of Christ and the reality that he is real and he desires to meet your needs. So as Miko begins to play, just I'd ask you to come forward. We're going we're gonna to pray for you. and We're going to believe that God is going to meet you in those areas. And that he is going to prove to you that he is sufficient and that everything that you need. So if you could, just gather around the front here. We're going we're gonna to pray for you as a church. It's not easy. You know, it's, it seems like when you're in those moments that um, nobody else understands it or nobody else gets it. And these things are real. But God desires to meet you and to express to you the peace that he has. Yeah, okay, we'll come towards the middle here. We're going to have our staff will be behind you as well. We've got lots of room, so no pressure. Yes, Jesus. We glorify your name, Father. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Father. as we pray, you know, just remember it's a set into your heart this idea of understanding and the reality of who he is and that he is sufficient and he will take care of you. Lord Jesus, we just come before you and I thank you God for your church and I thank you God for your members God that you have set into place here and God as we finish up this series God on, on the perfect peace, God a peace that can only come from you. God, we 
God, we've got members here, God, that find themselves in a place struggling financially and things that they don't see a way out of and things that just don't make sense. And God, we pray, Father, that as we seek your kingdom, Father, as we seek your righteousness, God, that you're going to take care of those things. God, your scripture says that you already know where the problems are. You already know what we need. But God, you've called us, God, to place our hearts on you, Father, and to be busy about that in your life. So God, I pray, God, as these people stand here, God, as they stand here in a time of need, God, that each one of them, Father, that you minister to their heart and that you show them, Father, God, that you are Lord over every situation that they have. God, that they commit themselves on a daily basis, Father, to the studying of your word. God, to praying, Father. God, to seeking all things that are good. God, all things that are pure. God, all things that are holy. And God, that through that, Father, that they will develop, God, an eagerness and a desire, God, for the gospel. God, that that anxiousness, Father, will fall to the side. Father, that it will be replaced by an eagerness, God, to serve you. And thank you, God, for your work. And thank you for being a sovereign God. Thank you for being the God God, that we can lean on in every situation. And thank you, Father, for sustaining us, Father. God, for sanctifying us, God, and bringing us to a place, God, of only understanding, God, that you as our Lord and our King. And in the name of Jesus, Father, touch the lives of the people of this church. God, work in a mighty way, Father. And in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.